1: Day and welcome to the Molson Coors Beverage Company fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021 earnings conference call. You can find the related slides on the investor relations page of the Molson Coors website. Our speakers today are Gavin Hattersley, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Tracy Joubert, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I'll hand it over to Greg Tierney, Vice President of FD&A and
2: Investor Relations. Thank you, Operator, and hello, everyone. Following prepared remarks today from Gavin and Tracy, we will take your questions. To address as many questions as possible, we ask that you limit yourself to one question. If you have more than one question, we will answer that your first question and then ask you to re-answer the queue for any additional or follow-ups. If you have technical questions on the quarter, please pick them up with our IR team in the days and weeks that to follow. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements. Actual results or trends could differ materially from our forecasts. For more information, please re- refer to the risk factors discussed in our most recent filings with the SEC. We assume no obligation to update forward-looking statements. Gap reconciliations for any non-U.S. GAAP measures are included in our news release. And also, unless otherwise indicated, all financial results the company discusses are versus the comparable prior year period in U.S. dollars and in constant currency when discussing percentage changes from the prior year period. With that, Over to you, Gabby.
3: Thanks, Greg. 2021 was a turbulent year all around the world for our industry and for our business. The pandemic raged and receded multiple times, but unfortunately, it surged in the last six weeks of the year. And with it came government restrictions related to bars and restaurants, most notably in Europe and Canada. That impacted our business, creating a whole host of challenges. And yet, through it all, Molson Coors made tremendous progress in each of the pillars of our revitalization. Our two biggest brands each grew net sales revenue in the U.S., America's, and globally. An incredible feat, given the fact that over the past few years, many folks have been of the belief that this whole segment was on a path of spiraling declines across the U.S. and Canada. We finished the calendar year with a larger global above-premium portfolio than ever before with our hard seltzer portfolio growing at the fastest rate of any major beverage company in the United States. Very strong hard salsa growth in Canada and standout beer innovations in the UK, as well as in Central and Eastern Europe. We are moving to scale beyond the beer aisle on the back of the fastest-growing energy drink in the United States per IRI, and we continue to invest in our future growth all around the world. Folks, in 2021, Molson Coors grew the top line for the first time in a decade. Top-line growth is one of the core goals of our revitalization plan, and a result our company has not been able to deliver in a long time. Yes, we slightly missed our guidance on EBITDA as a result of the impact of the Omicron variant surge in the last six weeks of the quarter. But at the same time, we've been very disciplined with cash within the business, improving our leverage ratio faster than we expected, and we chose not to cut the marketing investments that will help ensure the long-term health of our brands and our business. Overall, Molson Coors finished 2021 as a healthier business than we were at the end of 2019. Now, as you recall in our third quarter call, we said that uncertainty as it pertains to potential surges in the coronavirus and or its variants, to varying degrees by market could have an impact on our financial performance. Unfortunately, that is exactly what happened. The on-premise in much of EMEA experienced increased restrictions beginning in the middle of the fourth quarter as the Omicron variant surged. In the UK, the Christmas holiday period is one of the most important sales windows of the whole year, and due to government restrictions for pubs and restaurants and more cautious consumer behaviour, we fell to below 80% of 2019 net sales revenue. the UK is our third largest global market by net sales revenue, and the on-premise accounted for 65% of our business there in 2021. So as was well-established earlier in the pandemic, When that channel is restricted or shut down, it has a meaningful impact on our business. And we felt that in the fourth quarter. But we know from experience over the past two years of the pandemic that this has been temporary. When the on-premise channel has reopened and when consumers are comfortable re-entering bars and restaurants, they came right back. And I'm proud to announce that we're ranked number one in the UK Advantage Group survey. That is an independent industry-wide survey on how the Big on-premise national customers across the UK view brand owners, and the results speak volumes about our hardworking team. Additionally, some of our US suppliers had renewed challenges providing materials like bottle crowns at the tail end of the year, which had knock-on effects on our production. But this has certainly eased in the time since. And we've taken matters into our own hands by increasing the number of suppliers we work with to limit these kind of issues going forward. One point I want to make clear, though, is that while pandemic-driven issues with freight availability in the global supply chain continue to challenge us in the fourth quarter, we made significant improvements with our distributed inventory in the U.S. We closed 2021 with about 700,000 more barrels of distributed inventory than we did in 2020. And that progress puts us in a far better inventory position heading into 2022. And in fact, our out-of-stocks for core brands and packs are at their lowest level since before the pandemic. Today, our top line is growing fast for the first time in 10 years. Our core brands are growing net sales revenue for the first time in years. Our portfolio is premiumizing to levels never before achieved. We are moving to scale beyond beer, and our business is making tangible progress towards achieving the goals of our revitalization plan. We are set up for a strong 2022. Now, I want to dig in a little deeper, starting with our core brands. For the past few years, you've heard us talk about things like segment share and brand health as leading indicators that Coors Light and Miller Light remain strong foundations of our global business. Today, I'm very happy to tell you that each brand grew net sales revenue in the U.S. in 2021. Coors Light by 4.4% and Miller Light by 7.6%. We also saw double-digit growth in our on-premise placements for Miller Light versus last year. In Canada, Quizlight also reported revenue growth in the fourth quarter, while Miller Lite revenue was up double digits for the full year with acceleration in the fourth quarter. Our portfolio continues to premiumize. Our above premium net sales revenue has grown over 15% in 2021. The biggest driver of that premiumization was our growth in U.S. hard seltzers. Despite ending the year with only one nationally distributed hard seltzer brand, our portfolio grew triple digits over the course of 2021 and we generated the largest growth rate in this space among any of the major beverage suppliers per ROI. Today, we have two of the top five hard seltzer brands in the U.S., with papa Chica hard seltzer and Visi. and we see more upside ahead. Of the top 10 hard seltzer franchises, Visi is the only one that has existed for multiple years and has never lost hard seltzer share in a quarter. In 2022, that success is continuing with Visi growing both industry and hard seltzer share, and while it's still early, we are very optimistic about the national launch of Topo Chico hard seltzer. Topo Chico hard seltzer has jumped to the 6th fastest turning hard seltzer nationally, and we believe it can become a top three hard seltzer in the U.S. Per IRR, Topo Chico hard seltzer has improved industry share each week since its national launch. Even in markets where the Topo Chico mineral water is less known we are seeing strong results. RI, RR, Chica hard seltzer alone has already reached a five share of hard seltzer in seven new markets since launch. And we're bringing new packs to the brand with bottles, margarita hard seltzer, and ranch water that is already driving results. Our 12 pack of Chica ranch water is not only the fastest-turning ranch water in Texas, it's the fastest-turning in the United States. Our hard seltzer progress extends to Canada, where we achieved a nine share in hard seltzers in less than nine months. That was driven by both Visi and Coors Seltzer, with both brands finishing the year in the top 10 hard seltzer brands in Canada. Above premium beer continues to be a growth driver for us as well. In the US, Blue Moon Belgian White grew net sales revenue by high single digits in 2021 and saw double-digit growth in the fourth quarter. Peroni earned double-digit growth in 2021, and our U.S. regional craft portfolio once again outpriced the category. And we are gaining total share of the craft segment in Canada as well, led by the strong performance of Bracia de Montreal and Food de We also continue to premiumize our EMEA and APAC business. Madrid Exceptional has continued to accelerate as the world beer category grows in the U.K. and in Ireland. As of today, it's now delivering the fourth-highest rate of sale of all draft world lagers per CGA. And in 2021, Prava became the fastest-growing premium 4% lager per CGA. We are also bringing an exciting new innovation to market in the U.S. through an expanded agreement with the Coca-Cola company. Simply Spike Lemonade will be a full-flavor alcohol beverage inspired by the number one overall juice brand, a growing billion-dollar brand and the second largest brand in Coke's portfolio simply can already be found in one out of every two American households, and the brand continues to grow. So we're very excited about this opportunity to shake up the full-flavor alcohol beverage space as more legal-age consumers look for bolder flavor. In 2021, we put teeth behind our talk of becoming a total beverage company. Our Beyond Beer products are performing very well and helping to fuel our emerging growth business, which contributed approximately $800 million to 2021 net sales revenue, taking ahead of our $1 billion annual revenue target by 2023. ZOA has already proven to be a success, with a lot of opportunity still ahead as we continue to expand distribution. In less than 10 months, it has gone from non-existent to the fastest-growing energy drink in the U.S. per IRI, and it is number two in health energy drink sales in the C-Store channel. Latin America closed out 2021 with stellar performance, generating double-digit growth across this part of the business and record sales in many of the markets in which we operate. And we're backing it all up by investing in our capabilities. There are the physical investments, which are, of course, foundational. New hard seltzer production capabilities will be coming online in the US. We will soon turn on a new hard seltzer and spirits production line in Toronto. Our new state-of-the-art brewery is online in Montreal, and we're adding new canning and production capabilities in the UK. And then there are the investments we are making behind our brands. We increased marketing behind our core brands and key innovations, and we've become much more effective with those dollars as we accelerated our digital marketing capabilities. Folks, over the past two years, we have laid the foundation for some sustainable long-term top and bottom line growth at Molson Coors. Today, our core power brands are growing dollar sales. Today, more of our portfolio is in the above premium space than ever before. Today, we are moving to scale beyond the bear hour. Today, we have stronger capabilities to drive future growth. And because of all of that, because of the foundation we have laid over the past two years, against great odds and in a historically challenging environment, we can give guidance that in 2022, Molson Coors expects to deliver highest top and bottom line growth in over a decade. We will continue to invest in our business to drive towards sustainable long-term top and bottom-line growth. And Now, to give you greater details on that, I'd like to hand it over to our Chief Financial Officer, Tracy Gibert. Trace?
4: Thank you, Gavin, and hello, everyone. As Gavin highlighted, 2021 was a year of tremendous progress against our revitalization plan. Despite the challenges that we and so many other companies face, we achieved our top-line guidance of mid-single-digit growth for the year delivered strong free cash flow, enabling us to further reduce our leverage ratio and return cash to shareholders. We continued to execute our revitalization plan, building a strong foundation for future growth, and we issued fiscal 2022 guidance that underscores that progress. Before I take you through our quarterly, our full-year performance and our outlook, I would like to update you on a couple of naming convention changes in our business unit reporting. This does not change our reported results for these segments and was done for the names better reflect the geographies within the segment. As of December the 31st, 2021, our reporting segments are the Americas, formerly called North America, and EMEA and APAC, formerly called Europe. Now let's discuss the fourth quarter. We delivered strong top-line and EBITDA performance, while we benefited from cycling significant on-premise restrictions in the prior year, we were still impacted by the rapid emergence of the Omicron variant in mid-November, which resulted in overall on-premise softness compared to the third quarter. In December, the U.S. on-premise net sales revenue was approximately 86% of December 2019 net sales revenue, down from third quarter levels of approximately 88%. Canada was approximately 60% of December 2019 net sales revenue, down from third quarter levels of approximately 80%, and the UK was below 80% after being close to 100% in the third quarter. Consolidated net sales revenue increased 13.7% driven by EMEA and APAC growth of 56.5% and America's growth of 7.1%. Consolidated net sales revenue growth was driven by higher financial volume, positive global net pricing, and favorable brand and channel mix due to premiumization and fewer on-premise restrictions versus the prior year. In fact, consolidated net sales revenue increased 4.3% compared to 2019. Consolidated financial volume increased 7.4% as we rebuilt U.S. domestic inventories and grew brand volumes 2.3%, driven by EMEA and APAC, Canada, and Latin America. This was partially offset by lower U.S. economy brand volumes as a result of our economy skewed de and rationalization program. In the U.S., we grew net sales revenue 6.3%, with domestic shipments up 3.3%, reflecting our efforts to build distributor inventories with a the supply disruptions in 2021. US brand volumes declined 3.8%, but this was driven entirely by the economy portfolio, which was down double digits. While our premium portfolio grew low single digits, and the above premium portfolio was at double digits for the quarter. Canada, our net sales revenue increased 9.9% on strong brand volume growth of 6%, while Latin America net sales revenue increased 15.9% 15.9% on brand volume growth of 12.4%. EMEA and APAC Net Sales Revenue grew 56.5%, driven largely by Western Europe, but also growth in Central and Eastern Europe. Strength in our core brands and new innovations like Madrid led to double-digit growth in above premium and premium volumes, partially offset by double-digit declines in economy. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 3.8%, driven by global net pricing growth and positive brand and channel mix, with premiumization delivered across both business units. Underlying costs per hectolitre increased 5.2%, driven by cost inflation, including higher input and transportation costs, and mixed impact from premiumizations. So, we benefited from volume leverage due to higher production volumes and continued progress on our cost savings program. Underlying NG&A in the quarter increased 2.4% as we continued to invest behind our core brands and innovations across both business units while GNA was flat. As planned, we increased marketing investments in the quarter to levels above the fourth quarters in both 2020 and 2019 providing strong commercial support behind our brands as of 2022. As a result of these factors, underlying EBITDA increased 21.9%. And recapping the full year, consolidated net sales revenue increased 4.7%, with Americas up to 2%, and EMEA and APEC up 19.6%. Top-line growth was driven by global net pricing, favorable brand and channel mix from premiumization and fewer on-premise restrictions, and EMEA and APAC volume growth. This was partially offset by lower financial volumes in America. Consolidated financial volumes declined 0.5%, while brand volumes declined 1.7%. America's brand volumes declined 3.2% as a result of the economy's skewed deprioritization, which began in the second quarter of 2021 and Rationalization Program, which was announced last July. EMEA and APAC brand volumes were up 3%. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis grew 3.8% due to global net pricing growth and favorable sales mix. In the U.S., net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis was up 4.4% for the year, driven by net pricing growth and the success of both premium products, including Busy, Chico Hard Salsa, the Blue Moon family, and Peroni. Underlying costs per hectare increased 6.9%, driven by cost inflation, including higher input and transportation costs, mixed impacts from premiumization and volume deleverage. However, with the benefit of our robust hedging and cost savings programs, we were able to mitigate some of the inflationary pressure. Underlying MGNA increased 2.9%. Largely due to higher marketing investments versus 2020. In the second half of 2021, we began to progressively increase marketing spend with the resumption of more sports and live events. MGNA increases were also driven by lack, lacking targeted cost mitigation actions in 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic and were partially offset by our cost savings program. In 2021, we delivered approximately $220 million across MGA and cost of goods sold in our three-year $600 million cost savings program. Over the 2020 through 2021 period, we have delivered an aggregate $490 million, placing us well on track to meet our $600 million target in total growth savings by the end of 2022. As a result of these factors, underlying EBITDA decreased 3.5%. This was slightly below the incidence of approximately flat and was driven by the on-premise softness as a result of the Omicron variant. However, underlying net income before income taxes was approximately flat for the year as a result of lower interest and depreciation, 5.6% underlying EPS growth compared to the prior year. Underlying free cash flow was $1.1 billion for the year, a decrease of $183 million from the prior year. This decline can be wholly attributed to the repayments of approximately $100 million of taxes related to various government-sponsored deferral programs related to the pandemic, which benefited the prior year free cash flow by $150 million, creating a negative swing factor of about $250 million on our 2021 free cash flow. Excluding these changes, networking capital movements were favorable to the prior year. Capital expenditures paid. $523 With five hundred and twenty three million a year, down from five hundred and seventy five million dollars in twenty twenty, and focused on expanding our production capacity and capability programs such as the previously announced Golden Brewery modernization Project, our new Montreal brewery, which opened during the fourth quarter, and expanding our hard sulfur capacity in Canada and the UK. We have continued to make great progress strengthening the balance sheet and improving our financial flexibility. We reduced our net debt by nearly $1 billion in 2021, and our trailing 12-month net debt to underlying EBITDA ratio to 3.14 times better than our guidance of approximately 3.25 times, and down from 3.5 times as of the end of December 2020, and down substantially from 4.8 times in 2016, At the time of the MilliCruz acquisition, we ended the year with strong borrowing capacity with no borrowings outstanding on our $1.5 billion US revolving credit facility. That takes me to our outlook, which calls for both top and bottom line growth in 2022 for the first time in over a decade. Before we go through the guidance, I wanted to note that year over year growth rates are on constant currency basis. We are adjusting the metrics provided to best align with the goals of our revitalization plan. Also, and consistent with our historical commentary, uncertainty as it pertains to the coronavirus and its variants remains to varying degrees by market. If on-premise restrictions are increased and or reinstated in some of our larger markets, this could have a significant impact on our financial performance during that period. For 2022, we expect to deliver mid-single-digit net sales revenue growth. We expect to deliver high single-digit underlying income before income taxes growth and underlying free cash flow of $1 billion, plus or minus 10%. This guidance implies that we will shift to consumption in the US for the year. In terms of phasing, recall that we will start lasting the economy through deprioritization and rationalization In the second quarter of 2022. In addition, we expect to face continued inflationary pressure, including transportation and material costs. While we have levers to offset inflation, including pricing, mix from premiumization, and our cost savings and hedging programs, these headwinds are expected to continue to pressure gross margins, but have been built into our guidance. And we expect to continue to invest behind our core brands and key innovations which entails increasing the level of marketing investment from the prior year. Given the on-premise restrictions in the first half of 2021, we expect greater year-over-year increases in marketing spend in the first half of 2022. We also intend to invest behind our capabilities with cash capital expenditures anticipated to return to more normal pre-pandemic levels. Other guidance metrics include underlying depreciation and amortization of approximately $750 million, plus or minus 5%, reported. Net interest expense of $265 million, plus or minus 5%, and an underlying effective tax rate in the range of 22 to 24%. Turning to capital allocation, our priorities remain to invest in our business to drive top-line growth and efficiencies reduce net debt, and to return cash to shareholders. We are maintaining our target net debt to underlying EBITDA ratio of below three times by the end of 2022, as we have a strong desire to maintain and in time upgrade our investment grade rating. And on February the 22nd, 2022, the board declared a dividend of $0.58 per share, an increase of 12%. Also, on February 17, 2022, the Board of Directors approved a share repurchase program authorizing the company to purchase up to an aggregate of $200 million of our company's Class B common stock through March the 31st, 2026, with repurchases primarily intended to offset annual Employee Equity Award grants. In closing, 2021 was a volatile year, but it did not deter us from executing our plan. The progress we have made has laid a strong foundation to achieve our goals of sustainable long-term top- and bottom-line growth, and our 2022 guidance demonstrates our confidence we are on the right path. And with that, we look forward to answering your questions. Operator?
1: We will now begin the Q&A portion of the call. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press star followed by two. In consideration of others and to allow more of you to participate in this call, we ask that you limit yourself to one question. If you have additional questions or follow-ups, please rejoin the queue. We will now pause to compile the Q and A roster. Our first question goes to Kevin Grendy with Jeffries. Kevin, your line is open. You can go ahead.
5: Great. Uh, thanks. Good morning, everyone, and uh, congratulations on the uh, continued progress, uh, particularly in the uh, difficult environment. Um, I want to start with the uh, sales guidance for the year. Um, Tracy, this may be for you. Maybe just spend a moment on, on how you expect that to break down between volume and net sales per hectoliter uh, within net sales per hectoliter. Maybe just comment broadly on the contribution you're you're hoping for between price and mix. You know, particularly from a pricing perspective, given the uh, the, the difficult input cost environment. And then, Gavin, maybe just at a high level coming off of uh, what's been a strong year for your key brands, just offer some some thoughts, if you wouldn't mind, on your outlook for Coors Light uh, and and Miller Light in the upcoming year, and then I'll pass it on. Thank you for that.
3: Thanks, Kevin, Um, and good morning. Um, let me start, and then Tracy can take you through some of the guidance around cost of sales and so on for, for for 2022. But from a pricing point of view, obviously we're we're experiencing you know inflationary pressures. We expect them to continue well into into this year. Um, and while we take uh, have historically taken price increases in the spring of every of every year, this year we actually announced price increases a little earlier than that. And we we went with a price increase of of between three and five percent. Um, you know that took place mostly in in January and the early part of of, of uh, February. And obviously the the amount and the timing of of pricing increases does does vary by by market. Um, we do have more levers than just uh, uh, pricing, of course. Right? We we have we have the mix uh, shift which is fundamentally part of our revitalization plan is to, is to shift our, our, our mix into the above premium and, and emerging growth. And emerging growth is, is almost entirely above premium. So, you know, I spoke about that in my um, in my uh, opening remarks. Um, and, uh, Trace, why don't you talk about hedging, the hedging program, um, maybe, and then I'll circle back on the brand.
4: Okay. Yeah, I mean... Um... You know, we've spoken before about our, our robust hedging program um, and and how we cover all our key commodities. Um, so, you know, as we look into 2022 and 2023, uh, you know, we're really comfortable with our, our hedge positions. And, you know, that hedging program is going to play a part in um, mitigating some of the inflation that we've seen.
3: Thanks, Trace. Um, you know, Kevin. Look, I mean, our business at the end of 2021 is is fundamentally uh, more sound than it was at the beginning of the revitalisation plan. Particularly with our with our brands. And you referenced Coors Light. You know, we ended the year with with with, with both of those of those brands uh, growing uh, the top line, which which we haven't done for for quite some time. Uh, Coors Light. Uh, you know, the Made to Chill campaign continues to work hard for us, um, both regionally, nationally. Um, and at a, at a at a local level, um, it's 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 resonating, and attracting 21 to 29 year old uh, uh, consumers. And you know, Miller Lite has um, you know, despite some of the, the inventory challenges and and some of the tough comps we we had to overcome, have, have just sequentially improved over the over the year. And you know, they continue to focus on on a true beers beer through you know all sorts of different brand acts like the like the Bium and some more recently the exploration into the into the metaverse. so you know we, we, we feel like those two brands are, are, are really well placed um, heading into, into 2022. and then you know looking beyond that above premium blue moon has bounced back very strongly. Um, our emerging growth division as I said is ahead of our, our, our plan to get to a billion dollars. Canada's growing um, poors light um, has grown share. Um, it's as healthy as it's been for a while. Um, and Europe is bouncing back now that we, we we're heading through the um, omicron variant and, um, and restrictions have been have, have been uh, uh, lifted and we've got strong above premium uh, innovation which is a very strong on-premise uh, bias so uh, yeah I think hopefully that answers your Kevin uh, your question Kevin
5: yeah that, that's very thorough. thank you very much I have a number of questions I'll take offline with uh, Greg and Tracy but continued success. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Our next question goes to Rob Ottenstein with Evercore. Rob, your line is open. You can go ahead.
7: Great. Thank you very much. Um, Gavin, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, how business is starting off this year. I mean, we we all see the public information. January was a a very tough start for the whole industry. Um, You know, how much of that do you think is the, you know, maybe sticker shock from price increases? Uh, Omicron, the weather, uh, maybe people had a lot of, you know, a lot of beer in their pantries, you know, given that, you know, a lot of holiday parties may have gotten canceled. I'm just trying to get a little bit of it, more of a sense of, of what the beer industry and your business looks like uh, and, and maybe what, what you're seeing in February to give you confidence uh, to underscore your guidance. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Rob. Um, look, I'm not, I'm not going to repeat what I said to Kevin as far as our overall brands are concerned, but if you look to the to, to January, yeah, I mean, the, the data that's publicly available will say that the, that, that the whole industry, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't the easiest of months. I don't think pricing's got anything to do with it because the pricing increases came uh, in, in the month and even into February to impact uh, January trends. So I, I, I don't think it's got anything to do with it. And, and frankly, the price increases, as I just said, you know, for us, 3 to 5%. You know, well lower than than inflation rates, which are which are sticking in the in the consumers' minds. I'd point a finger squarely at the second point you raised there, which is Omicron, right? Um, you know, consumers were resistant to to, to, to going out into the on-premise um, December and, and into January, and as as we've got further into January and, and now into February, we've seen the consumers come back to the on-premise, particularly in. In our European businesses, where restrictions have been largely uh, lifted, but also in the United States and to a lesser degree in Canada. So, you know, I'm going to point the finger squarely at Omicron, um, Rob.
7: And and so I guess tied tied to that, it would be your sense you're not expecting uh, much in the way of demand elasticity on the price increases, maybe maybe less than historical.
3: Well, we always we we understand pricing elasticity in a normal world, right? And I think we're operating in in somewhat unknown territory. So you know, um, it's a, I think it's a little too soon to 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 tell exactly what um, the various price increases that have gone into the market, uh, what impact that will have from a from a from a volume uh, perspective. Rob, I, I, I think um, you know as we head into spring and summer, we we shall see.
7: Terrific! Thank you very much. Good thing.
1: Thank you, Rob. Our next question goes to Andrea Teixeira with JP Morgan. Andrea, your line is open. You can go ahead.
8: Uh, thank you. Good morning. Um, so, my question is the assumption of the do savings, because your earnings guidance embeds faster growth, if I understood correctly, on the bottom line. And I understand from uh, Tracy comments that gross margin will go will be pressured this year in spite of you know the timing of the hedges, which I'm assuming are going to be better in the first half of the year and then give back some in the second half. So are you embedding uh, your EBITDA margin? We're expanding 2022 to reach your profit guidance. And then related to that, I think the investors that I got, uh, that I spoke this morning, were uh, asking about what drove the EBITDA miss in the quarter and also the year, um, and also the reason to refrain from giving guidance on an EBITDA basis for 2022 and use earnings before taxing. Just, just a clarification there. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Andrea. Um, I think, Trace, uh, why, yeah. why don't you take all those?
4: Okay. So, um, first of all, I, I think you spoke, of, you asked about the, the margin expansion. Um, so look at our you know mid single digit top line um, and and high single digit um, income before tax line um, there's a couple of things that need to be considered so first of all uh, you're right I mean we, we are seeing an inflationary environment we expect to see inflation continue on commodities and packaging materials and and you know we also expect the freight market to remain tight so that will create a, a cogs headwind um, but but to mitigate that we we have a very robust um, Hedging program, as, as you mentioned, um, you know, we typically hedge uh, the, the first year, somewhere between one and three years, depending on the on the commodity and, and the liquidity of that commodity. But in the first year, our, our hedges are, are obviously, you know, higher than um, the, the outer years, which, which are typically lower. So we have a, a robust hedging program. As we look now into 2022 and 2023, we are very comfortable um, with our hedge positions. In addition to that, we've got the cost savings program. Um, you know, this this is the part of that $600 million uh, program. We've al- already, um, you know, delivered $490 million of that. Um, we've got uh, items like the new state-of-the-art, more efficient breweries in Canada um, that we spoke about. that have come online, so that's certainly going to help from a, from a cost point of view. We've got the continued premiumization of our portfolio, which, you know, is, is really all about uh, what the revitalization plan is driving, you know, we we, um, obviously have spoken a little bit about And then um, this year we have a full year of contribution of our equity income from our Yenling joint venture. So, you know, we've we've got a couple of those um, items that'll pay out in 2022, Um, but having said that, we're gonna continue to invest in our business and behind our brands, as you saw in Q4 of 2021. Um, So in terms of EBITDA, the the, uh, Q4, um, so we did reaffirm our guidance at the end of October based on the plans that we had in place. And and more importantly, what we were seeing um, in terms of very strong on-premise performance um, during Q3 and going into Q4, uh, we stated on, on the call at that time that if restrictions were reinstated in some of our larger markets, it would have a significant impact on our financial performance um, over the next few months. And we saw that with the Omicron um, re-emergence uh, in, in mid-November um, and, and we saw a return to both governments imposed restrictions um, as well as changes to consumer behaviour and that impacted our on-premise performance in all our markets but particularly in the UK where we've spoken about just what a big part of our, our um, business the on-premise um, is. But having said that we still hit our, our mid-single digit top line um, and, and we continue to invest. In our brand, so um, that was important to us. We did not pull back on the investment, which makes, um, which sort of helped us set up 2022 a strong foundation. So that was really the the Q4, um, and then you know the 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 guidance um, in terms of EBITDA. So what we have done is we have given metrics which um, we believe. Best aligned with our revitalization plan goals of driving both top and bottom line growth. Um, we've added, um, in addition to the net income before tax, we've we've added um, the the um, depreciation and amortization, which we normally give. We've given net interest and we've given the effective tax rate, as well as a, a pre cash fund leverage target ratio. So, you know, if you add those back, you will get back to the EBITDA um, range. So um, we just believe that this is, uh, you know, better guidance in terms of our, our re- revitalization plan. Thanks,
3: Trace.
8: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Andrea. Our next question goes to Bill Kirk with MKM Partners. Bill, your line is open. You can go ahead.
9: Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um Tracy, help us with uh, some 1Q phasing items? Um, I, I think you have... About two million hectoliters shifting back into the first quarter, you know, related to the Texas freeze and the cybersecurity events. Uh, but I guess, what, what about prior year cost comparisons? Um, are they are they easier in some ways since the prior year had those disruptions and maybe made uh, servicing the wholesalers more expensive?
4: Yeah. So, um, you know, we don't specifically give quarter by quarter guidance, but maybe some of the things just to think about. Um, is, uh, you know, from a marketing point of view, um, you know, marketing will particu- will be higher um, in, in the first half of the year as we cycle some of the, you know, on-premise shutdowns and, and things like that. So we are expecting um, our full-year marketing in 2022 to be higher than, than 2021, but really um, more so in the first half. You know, in terms of other costs, um, you know, obviously we're still going to be impacted by inflation, as I've said. But, you know, some of the other things to consider is, you know, assuming that we don't see levels of on-premise restrictions in the first half of 2022, we'll expect to see some benefit from volume leverage, particularly in our EMEA and APAC business. Um, We'll also expect to see both channel and geographic mixed benefits as we cycle the first half restrictions in EMEA and APAC, which, you know, have a lower overall cost per hectolitre, uh, COGS per hectolitre, um, and and then again, you know, I just do want to mention our, our robot hedging program where we cover all commodities and we're really comfortable with, you know, where we're sitting. Um, obviously, we've also got our cost savings program, which will deliver as well. So um, I'd, I'd say those are some of the things to consider for at least the first half of this year.
3: And the only other thing I'd add to that bill is, is in, in the other side of some of that positive, which you mentioned, which is it takes a on the Texas storm and the cybersecurity attack. Is obviously our economy uh, skew reduction and rationalisation, right? So we will still have the headwind of that, particularly in the first quarter, and then and then for for, for a chunk of the second quarter. So that that'll be a negative uh, from a from a from a volume perspective. But if you if you if, if you recall, in the fourth quarter, we, we actually all of our, our our volume loss in the fourth quarter in the US was driven by economy as premium lights grew as good above 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 premium as as um as well. And and, and of course we we came into the year with uh, the with, with robust um inventory, so we're not expecting any um any any meaningful out of out of stocks. And, and I think as I said in my opening remarks, we are we're, we're actually operating at levels lower than than, than pre pandemic at the moment, which which obviously we're very pleased about and, and I'm sure our distributors are too.
9: Thank you, Gavin. And, and as a follow-up, there, I think you mentioned Topo Chico was the hard seltzer was the number two turning hard seltzer. Uh, retailers are, are finishing up their spring shelf resets right now. Did they did they respond the way you wanted to with, with Topo Chico here with their resets, given given those velocity stats?
3: Yes, they did. Uh, we've got um, our national rollout of Topo Chico um, has been very well received by by uh, uh, both big and small uh, retailers okay thank you thank you
1: thank you bill our next question goes to steve powers with Deutsche bank steve your line is open you can go ahead
10: yes hey thank you very much um a couple of follow-ups on on things i guess mostly for tracy that we've covered before on the on the hedging program um I, i guess are you able to be any more specific around where you you know, you think your cogs per hectoliter, um, I guess what your outlook is for the coming year, but you know, before any productivity offsets. I, I just I think the spot market would would indicate, you know, potentially, you know, double digit type inflation. It sounds like you're gonna well below that. I'm just trying to, you know, get a sense for order of magnitude and how much inflation may be deferred into twenty three. That's question number, you know, kind of one. And then two, um I know I'm supposed to only have one, but if you can humor me, <laughs> um, on the sec- second one, on um, on EBITDA, just the remove away from explicit EBITDA guidance. I think all the all the uh, the piece parts that you gave us, you know, do allow us to back into EBITDA, but I, I think it results in a, a wider range than you might typically, um, you know, land on. So is that intentional? Should we be thinking kind of the, the midpoint of all those things, low single-digit type EBITDA increase? Just or or are you do you are you intentionally leaving a little bit wider? So thank you for both those.
3: That's both for you, Trace.
4: Yeah, let me me try that. So, um, Steve, look, we didn't give um, COGS basically the guidance, but it is built into our bottom-line guidance, so, you know, the the high single-digit net income or income-before-tax guidance. So it is built in there. Some of the things um, maybe that can just help put a bit of colour around our COGS outlook is, um, you know, as I said previously, we'll, we'll continue to be impacted by inflation um, on our commodities and, and our packaging materials in particular, and we do expect the freight market to remain tight. Um, in Q4, we actually saw some noticeable impact from inflation on our ME and APAC business, and we expect to see that continue into 2022. But inflation is just one component of our COGS charge, and, and maybe a couple of additional items just to, to consider to add some colour. So, Again, it's assuming we don't see the similar levels of on-premise restrictions as we saw in the um, first half of 2021, uh, we do expect to see some benefits, um, particularly in, in, in EMEA and in APAC business, around volume leverage. Um, I also mentioned earlier that we expect to see channel and geographic mix benefits, again, um, in, in EMEA the, the APAC, which has a lower overall cost per hectare cost. Um, I have mentioned our hedging program. You know, we don't get into specific details around that, other than, you know, saying that we we typically hedge anywhere between one and three years, um, depending on commodities, depending on liquidity, depending on our outlook um, of of the commodities. And, and again, at this point, we are comfortable with our hedge positions as we look forward over the next couple of years. Um, Maybe just one more item to consider around COGS is um, we also – are expecting some depreciation benefits as we are cycling out of a five year period of the um asset fair value exercise which related to the Milliquid acquisition. So um, you know you'll see some benefits coming out of that. Uh, you know, other than that, we've got a number of actions across our supply chain and other levers that we can pull um, to deliver our top and, and bottom line. But the COGS outlook is is built into our bottom garden. And then just in terms of of EBITDA, I mean, really the intention is to more closely align the metrics, guidance metrics, with our revitalization plan goals. So, you know, that's all about driving both top and bottom line growth. Um, There's, you know, there's no um, intention other than that. We just want to more closely align with, you know, how we run the business. So, um, again, we have added the other metrics that hopefully we'll get you to an EBITDA range, I mean, without giving you, you know, specific numbers. But, um, yeah, that's Steve.
3: Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Steve. Thank thank you.
1: Thank you, Steve. Our next question goes to Nadine Sarwat with Bernstein. Nadine, your line is open. You can go ahead.
11: Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question. I want to push a little bit more on gross margins. Traci, you mentioned uh, and provided some helpful color on all of the moving parts. And in your prepared remarks, you did say that um, gross margins were going to continue to be pressured. Um, but pushing in a little bit more on that, can you give more precise expectations as to gross margins for this year? Uh, what I'm trying to understand is, do you expect to be able to take enough price plus that positive mix to offset the COGS pressures? Or should we be expecting gross margin compression on a year-on-year basis? Thanks,
3: Nadine. Um, you know, maybe I can start on that one first. I mean, you, but you've given all the all the components of it, right? So, but I mean, if you look at if you look at our our, our P and L, obviously we we had a strong push in our revitalization plan to change the shape of our portfolio, and I think we've been pretty successful at that last year. I mean, as I said, our brands are healthier mix is 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 really strong um you know quiz light, metal light. our core brands have, 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 have grown very nicely so you've got you've got a couple of things going on in the top line you've got um the pricing which i referenced um i gave you the us pricing but obviously there's pricing in in in, in europe and canada coming through as well uh, we've got strong positive mix that will come through as our portfolio reshapes into above premium um, we cycle past the economy uh, portfolio um, in the in the in the first sort of uh, first and second uh, quarter will, will will drive positivity um from a from an overall margin uh, point of view. Um, we 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 do have um, the emerging growth, which is all operating in the above in the above above premium, and we're going to continue to invest in our business. We're going to continue to put money into marketing. We made that tracy made the point. We were very choiceful in December. Uh, once we realized that omicron was going to impact us we very choicefully chose not to pull the marketing lever because we our brands are reacting so well to the to the marketing and we wanted to set ourselves up for a strong uh, 2022 and so that was that was choiceful, and we are going to um, increase marketing as tracy said um in 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 22 in 2022 both in the in, in in US and, and um, all of our all of our other markets, so we've got a lot of levers. And I'm not going to repeat everything Tracy said about the, the cost of goods sold line and all the levers that, that that go in there. But you know, we've 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 we've, we've got some positive momentum um, in the in the top line. Thanks, Nadine. Thank you. Thank you, Nadine. Our next
1: question goes to Chris Carey. It was- Wells Fargo Chris your line is open you can go ahead
8: hey, hey everyone thanks for the question um, so G- Gavin I'm trying to um, you know j- just understand a little bit on the you know it, it, it is a question on is it just how you're thinking about you know channel mix in 2022 and and, and you did say that you know you, that the EBITDA would have been you know kind of like in line if omicron had not, you know, created the volatility at the end of the quarter, but you know, sales came in line, which, which I suppose implies, you know, margin impact and, um, and, and specifically channel mix with the on-premise. And, and if I just run that math on the difference between the full-year guide, and and, um, and and what kind of came through, maybe it's like a seventy million dollar difference or a few hundred basis points on margin. Is is that, is that how we should be thinking about, you know, just the the potential benefit of of channel mix going into next year as that potential offset in your business. Uh, You know, Tracy did mention that in the cost per hectoliter, it is a, it is a tailwind to to the business just because of, you know, different packaging mix um, and you're going to get some volume leverage. So I mean, clearly we're all trying to figure out how the, the cost per hectoliter versus MGNA dynamic, um, you know, plays out. Um, and, And if you could just maybe offer some perspective on, you know, what you think the channel makes that you've in the, the quarter and, 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 and I guess, you know, really how we should be thinking about, the you know, potential tailwind of, of the business on a, you know, profit and margin impact going into next year.
3: Right. Chris, yeah, a lot going on in that question. Let me see if I can help. Um, look, I mean, it's, I think it's safe to say that in the fourth quarter, we were expecting our revenues to be higher than what we actually ended up with. So although we met the guidance of mid-signages, our expectation uh, at the end of October was that it was going to be higher. Um, and, um, and, and and obviously it wasn't because of the of the, um, the Omicron um, impact, but there is there is a range there, right? Of, I think mid single digit guidance is 36 to 74, roughly, right? So we were we were expecting that number to be higher. From a from a channel mix uh, point of view, obviously particularly in Europe, it's, it's very positive for us when when, when the on premise is open. We're it's you know we we're, we're, we're extremely efficient at that, and the margins are good. Um, In the U.S., the margins are also good in the on-premise for us, um, mostly because we skew higher on the above premium portfolio than we do um, on economy, for example. I mean, brands like Blue Moon, um, Peroni pulseulsner Raquel in the US are, are, are all higher margin higher revenue uh, uh, brands. So when the on- premise is open we benefit from that and you know Miller Lite and QuizLite also disproportionately um, over indexed versus some of the lower margin brands in the in the on premise and you have the same impact in Canada and you have the same impact in, in, um, in Europe so when the, when the on premise um, runs into some challenges, uh, obviously that has a, that, that, that's mixed negative for us everywhere but particularly in 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 europe as we as we head into this is the sort of 2022 obviously we've got um some 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 tailwinds behind us i mean the first quarter we we had the well publicized challenges of, of the texas storms and the and the um and the cyber security attack and you know, in, in Europe, we, as I recall, in the first quarter last year, we were pretty much shut down in the on-premise um, uh, for, I think, the whole first quarter. Um, which, we, which obviously we don't have. Um, well, we did in a little bit in, in in January, but but certainly, uh, I, I think as of either this Monday or last Monday, um, they've pretty much opened up the UK completely, uh, which will be which will obviously be positive uh, for us. Um, so we we. we We've got some positive tailwinds uh, behind us from that perspective, and they happen to be positive tailwinds from a channel point of view because uh, that we, we make more margin there. And then, of course, we have got the negative um, um, headwind of, of cycling. The economy portfolio change, which we've got, I don't know, four or five months left of um, starting on the 1st of, of, of January. But from a margin point of view, that's actually very positive for us. So hopefully that's, that's helpful, Chris.
8: Yes,
1: thanks, Kevin. Thank you, Chris. Our next question goes to Lauren Grande from Guggenheim. Lauren, your line is open. You can go ahead.
9: Thank you, and thanks for squeezing me in. Um, two, two questions, actually, on the, on the top line as a significant part of your assumption. So I'd like to understand what are you expecting in terms of our uh, sales category growth for this year and the sales you are planning to achieve thanks to uh, uh, Topochico and, and Vizi, and how wh- how should what what to expect for for, for simply I know it's not a heart there but uh, a different one and and finally if you can uh, help me try to figure out how much uh, Zoa contribute to the growth of, um, of uh, your 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 emerging growth division thank you.
3: Thanks, Lauren. Um On Simply, look, I mean, obviously, it's, we haven't even launched it into the market yet, so all I can tell you is how the retailers, distributors, and consumers are reacting to it. And, you know, they reacted extraordinarily positively to, to Topo Chico, which is doing amazingly well for us. The reaction to Simply has been even stronger than that. Um, you know, the, the, the number of households that have uh, Simply in them uh, one, one in two households in America, it's a very well-known brand. So, if, if, if we just go by reaction um, that we've had from retailers, distributors, and from uh, consumers, we, we're going to get more than our fair share of, of, of shelf space in a, in a sort of above, you know, more flavorful um, area, with, which is probably where we've lagged a little bit um, uh, this year. We're, we're, we're tapping into a, into a new segment of, of, of flavor for us. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we haven't done anything yet, but the reaction has been, has been particularly strong. If you look at emerging growth, um, you know it's got three big uh, components uh, to it: so the solid base business, right? We've got our distribution business, our craft, uh, uh, craft uh, business in in Tenth and Blake, and then and then our, our Latin American business. Um, Latin America contributed, as I said in our opening remarks, uh, really strongly. But you know, non alc which comprises ZoA and 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 La Cologne, to all intents and purposes we're coming off a zero base of revenue um coming into into 20 2021 uh, so you know a good chunk of the growth that we've that we've um experienced um, in in emerging growth has come from non-alc which is which is ZOA and and luck luck alarm laurent i'm not going to break out um by by brand what that is but you can assume that you know, big contributors to that growth were Latin America and our non elk uh, businesses. I think those were the two uh, the two biggest uh, uh, drivers of, 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 of us
9: being ahead of plan. Thanks, Thanks Lauren. Uh, and regarding health and regarding health after this, sorry if you, you can tell us basically what your assumption in terms of uh, category growth and what your are are. Well look
3: at from a heart, Celsius. From a hard seltzer point of view, Lauren, I mean, obviously it was uh, growing very strongly. It, it came off a lot, but it, you know, it still grew uh, low teens in 2021. Uh, we've got the two fastest-growing um, um, uh of any major beverage uh, company. They differentiated. We've got a lot of momentum behind them, and uh, we think we can do really big things with uh, with those with those two brands. Um, heading into, um, in, into 2022. I mean, we've got two of the top five um, Seltzer brands. Um, so we're, we think we're well positioned to, 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 to take share and, and, and grow. It's a big segment, Lauren. I'm not going to put a number as to what we ass- uh, ass- assess that it's going to grow, but, you know, frankly, it doesn't we can gain a lot of share in this space um, whether the salsa category grows or doesn't grow because of the two brands and offerings that we have.
1: Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Lauren. Our next question goes to Lauren Lieberman with Barclays. Lauren, your line is open.
8: You can go ahead.
11: Great. Thanks so much. Good morning. Um, I I wanted to just hone in maybe a little bit on unexpected volume performance for 22. just knowing, I guess, the a the comments on right so on, on elasticity and, and really just sort of not knowing. Um, but if I back into kind of the comments you've made on on pricing, um, Nick still
4: being you know positive. I would assume given the above premium growth. Sounds like you're planning for volume to be flattish. I'm guessing, um, and specifically as curious about STRs and thinking
11: about the category backdrop. Um, the degree to which if that slattish volume thought process is right, that implies continued market share gain across the portfolio or if that's more of a kind of inline performance as you're thinking about how, how things may well play out next year.
8: Thanks.
3: Well, look. I'm not going to give volume guidance, but what I can say to you is, in the fourth quarter, obviously, the entirety of our loss um, was driven by the uh, rationalisation of our economy portfolio. Above premium grew, and our premium, uh, our premium lights grew in the in the in, in the fourth quarter. Now, obviously, there was an element of, of of stock build in the fourth quarter for 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 some of our um, uh, 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 premium light uh, brands, but. You know, our, our drive into above premium is is reaping uh, benefit. You know, honestly, we came within a whisker of uh, being positive from a volume point of view for the whole year for for Formula Light and Quiz Light. In fact, now I would hazard a guess that if we didn't have the Omicron virus in the last six weeks, that we might well have we might well have got there if we hadn't had the the um, the curtailment in the in the in the on premise so you know I, I don't want to repeat myself um, from earlier comments um, Lauren but uh, we, we we are expecting a headwind while on the economy portfolio um it's it's a very deliberate decision we think it's the right decision. the last focus for us allows us to focus in on four economy uh, brands it, it, it removes a ton of complexity from from our supply chain, which has really helped us to rebuild our, our inventory levels to, to, to levels that we haven't seen for a while and really improved the service to our, to our distributors on, 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 on the brands that really matter, which is Motelight, is Light, and our above-premium um, uh, portfolio. So, you know, um, absent another uh, variant um, in, um, in uh, 2022, uh, we, we, we think we're, we're well-placed from, from an overall uh, portfolio point of view. Okay. Great.
1: Thanks, Lauren. thanks so much. Thank you, Lauren. Our next question goes to Brian Spillane with Bank of America. Brian, your line is open. You can go ahead.
9: All right. Thanks. Eric. Uh, good morning, Gavin. Good morning, Tracy. Um, just just one question. Um, and Tracy, you, t- you touched on this a little bit. Uh, I think in the prepared remarks. Just can you give us an update on where we stand now in terms of the progress on the investments that you've made? in the brewing, you know, in your brewing uh, facilities. So, you know, there's, I think you referenced Montreal, there's an upgrade going on in Golden, there's the seltzer capacity, just kind of where we stand on those projects and maybe the contribution that, that we're getting from, you know, cost savings related to that. And then if you could just, you know, give us a perspective on, you know, what it implies for capital spending for for, 23, for 22 and then Maybe just are we in the right range, you know, in this mid-500s as, a, as an ongoing CapEx? I think that was for you, Tracy.
4: Yeah, okay. So let me start, and then Gavin, you just jump in here. So, um, I mean, we if we just start with our Canadian brewery, so our, our new Montreal brewery, um, you know, state-of-the-art brewery that they've that are building just outside of Montreal, that actually um, came online at the end of last year. Um we we still have some IT projects around bringing you know the Canadian business onto our, our US ERP system so you know that that's going to continue um, at least into this year maybe a little bit more into into the early part of next year um, and then we've got the transformation and the modernisation of our Golden brewing. That's that's a multi-year project um, so that you know that's still um, ongoing. Uh, the investment in our hard sulfur capabilities. So, you know, we're putting in capabilities in in Canada and the U.K. Um, So that'll be this year and next year. That's big projects. And then also our packaging upgrade um, projects that, um, you know, relate to sustainability of our packaging, et cetera. Um, You know, that's ongoing. So I'd say those are the three big projects. Um, Now, we haven't given specific CAPEX guidance, but what we do expect is our CAPEX um, to return to more historical levels. So if you have a look at, you know, around 2019 type um, of spend, you know, you can expect that um, for this year.
9: Okay, that's, that's really helpful. And, and just, Tracy, if you could just, just um, I guess, if you could just give us a sense of just how much incremental uh, savings or productivity, efficiencies, just, just like how much more we could expect incremental from here.
4: Yeah, I mean, i just refer you to our cost savings program. Um, you know, so we, so right at the beginning of revitalization, uh, we we spoke about um, $450 million of cost savings primarily related to the cog plant. So that would include, you know, the Montreal brewery, um, you know, some of those types of efficiencies that we put in place. And then $150 million of the revitalization program was um, primarily around, you know, the GNA areas. a um, areas. So, you know, we've, we've uh $490 million of that 600 So So, um, you know, the, the the balance will be delivered this year. And, again, you know, the majority of that would be related to the COGS line, so, you know, the, the more efficient breweries and the lower-cost breweries. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that I can say much more than that other than, you know, it's included in that cost savings number. The only other
3: thing <laughs> I'd add to that... The only other thing I'd add to that, Brian, is obviously we have been um, pretty clear, uh, open about the fact that as we bring sellers into our own facilities, so the the, the 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 margin impact is very positive for us, right? And we started bringing Busy in last year into Fort Worth, and we'll bring Tope Chico in, um, in 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 2022, and, and and in Canada we'll we'll we'll, we'll bring those in house, and we'll do the same in in the UK, and that's very positive from a from a margin point of view. Um, and then obviously Tracy mentioned Montreal, right? I and mean, that. Brewery there was a couple of hundred years old, and we've replaced it with a state-of-the-art brewery, and it has it has meaningful um, cost benefits
9: for us. All, All right, thanks, Brian. that's that's really helpful. Yes, yeah, thank you. Thanks both.
1: Thank you, Brian. Our next question goes to Dara Mosinian, with Morgan Stanley. Dara, your line is open. You
11: can go ahead. Hi, this is actually Eric Sirota in for Dara. Um, good morning. Uh, first our main question um is i want to circle back on with shelf space um seemingly potentially a lot of uh, shelf space up for grabs if the um uh, expected trimming in um, hard seltzer marginal hard seltzer skews happens um just thinking about that in terms of opportunities for molson cores um, what you're looking at in terms of uh, shelf space position? Who do you think uh, you know, other than Topo Chico is picking up that? And um, you know, in the in the broader context of you know, spirits having one of its best years last year um, in memory, and um, RTDs being uh, you know particularly hot. You know, what kind of risk do you see for uh, some of the core brands in terms of shelf space and Retailers that are able to hold, carry spirits and RTDs.
3: Thanks, Eric. Um, yes, you're right. I mean, spring is where where most of the of the comprehensive change from a reset uh, uh, point of view takes place, and, and that's when, you know, most of the large innovations are, are actually launched and. You know, our, our team are, are, are selling our purpose drives uh, purchase category management strategy, where, where we believe that all decisions start with, with with occasions, and therefore all segments matter, and getting the call right for retails in 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 those segments is really important, and and obviously innovation is incredibly important to that as to to that as well. So. You know, our team is focusing um, on driving productivity on our core brands. So, you know, Coors Light, Coors Banquet, Miller Light, Blue Moon, Belgian White, and Lining Puzzles, particularly Summer Shandy. And at the same time, they're selling, um, you know, what I think is one of the most uh, focused and exciting innovation pipelines that we've had in years with, with, with Topo Chico Hot Seltzer and Busy Mimosa and, and Topo Chico Margarita and, and Simply Spiked and Blue Moon Light Sky Tropical Wheat and I you know that it's it's really focused um, and, and and exciting, and you know with with that strong performance in our core, uh, which we're experiencing, as well as the innovation we're bringing, we we're expecting to see expanded shelf space for our business um, in the spring, and that's what we're striving towards. Thanks, Eric.
11: Great, thank you.
1: That concludes our question and answer session. I will turn the conference back over to the management team for any closing remarks. Thank you, Greg. All
2: right, so thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today. Thanks, Gavin and Tracy. Um, and for appreciate to all of those who were able to ask questions. Uh, Tracy Mangini and I are very happy to follow up on any, uh, any additional questions that you may have over the next couple days. So with that, thanks, everybody, and have a great day.
1: That concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You can now disconnect your line.